We're not here on a certain agenda other than to honor our Father and lift up the name of Jesus because the Holy Spirit always testifies of Jesus. So we are not here to, <coughs> to just go through a certain plan in a certain time frame. <laughs> so I hope everybody's okay with that. I guess you wouldn't come to this kind of a church if you weren't. <laughs> Would you now? <laughs> Too bad everybody else is missing out on it. <laughs> I'm a little feisty today. I don't know if that was a nice thing to say or not. <laughs> but sometimes the truth isn't always that nice at first, but it is later, right? Because when people get a hold of it, when people get a hold of the truth, the Father enters the room. So anyway, these last weeks, we've been studying the Beatitudes, and we're calling it the road of God's blessing, the road of God's blessing. And so today, we are starting on Matthew 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And you know, the whole reason we're going on this road to God's blessing, this road of God's blessing, is so that we can be more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. You know, we've been given this amazing gift. I was actually going to maybe get to this later in, the, in, our, in my message, in, in God's message today, but here's the deal. Maybe we should just set the scene from the beginning. Maybe we should just set the scene of what's really happened. Maybe we should just set the scene of what has happened when we have become the righteousness of God in Christ through the salvation experience. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you know what that means? Do you know that the very life of Christ comes to live in you? How can these mortal bodies, how can these mortal bodies house that? Have you ever thought of that? Well, we can't. We can't. We can't. You know, we have to let it explode out. The likeness of Christ. Jesus Christ came to live in you. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ in me. Now, you stop and think about that. And we're going to talk about it later too. But think about the very fact that the very incarnation of Jesus Christ is residing in your spirit. You're not some weak, unpowerful, ineffective downtrodden, conquered. No, ma'am. No, sir. No way. The very life of Christ came when you became born again. And if you're not born again, just go right ahead right now and say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life so that I can have you in my spirit operating and just bringing your power, your life, your Holy Spirit to bear on every situation. 
situation in my life. You think there's any chain in your life that can't be broken by that? No. No, no chain that can't be broken. No bondage. Hallelujah. So we're on this journey, and today we're talking about the righteousness of God in Christ, that we are, that we are, when we become born again, when you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him Jesus, Jesus, we're talking about Jesus here, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's in the scripture. This is not just a bunch of talk. It's not a bunch of hot air. It's in there for a reason. It accomplishes something. And the, the New Living Translation says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You are instantly made right with Christ. You are the beloved. You are accepted into the brethren. You receive right standing with God. Think about that. Who else do you even need right standing with in this, in this life? Think about right standing with the Almighty Lord. Does that make you feel strong? Yeah, you are. You are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Hallelujah. So this means when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive right standing with God. This is not something you earn. This is not something you get by your works. You could never do enough good works to receive this gift. It is a gift of grace because you believe. It is a gift precious gift of grace because you believe. Romans 5.17 in the NIV. For if by the trespass of one man, that's Adam, right? Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift? The gift. It is a gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, we don't want to be there, do we? No, 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 no. Thank you, Lord, that you provided a way out. So also, one righteous act, and it wasn't yours, <laughs> one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By the obedience of Christ, not your obedience, not your obedience. Is it good? Is it good to do what the word says? Yes, because you're going to get life and light and wonderful things in your life because of it. 
but your obedience will never earn you the righteousness of God. Nor will your works. Romans 10.3. And this was Paul, this is Paul, just to set it up, was Paul speaking about the Israelites. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, you receive it, but you also have to submit to it. Right? You receive the righteousness of God, right standing, but then you have a journey in life to submit. And, you know, I just thought of this. I hadn't really thought of this before. Well, I mean, I thought about self-righteousness. But honestly, sometimes we actually think we're doing really good things and we aren't submitting. You know, you think you're doing good works or you think you're doing, or you're trying to be really independent and you say, well, that's a really good quality. The Lord wants me. But no, 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 the Lord doesn't want you to be independent. Our society tells you that you need to be independent. The Lord has nothing to do with that. He wants you to be dependent. Because honestly, until you become dependent on him, you can't receive the love that he came to give us. (coughs) And you'll never be satisfied at that point. We're strong in the power of his might, not in our own independence. To establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law. That's going to be an important key today. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So we know that righteousness is a gift. It's given through salvation. And when the scripture says, so if it's a gift, you know, sometimes our brains go like tilt a little bit because, okay, if it's a gift, then why is Matthew 5, 6 saying to hunger and thirst after it? If it's a gift, if it's something that we already have. Have any of y'all thought about that question? Huh? Or am I the only one? Because it's a gift, we have it. We receive it. But then he's saying hunger and thirst for it. Okay? Well, the long and short, and I would never want to summarize God in a few sentences because I would, like, never be capable of doing that. But (laughs) he does give us the gift, the right standing with him. See? But then we have to walk that out, the discovery, the revelation of what that means, the fruit of what that means. We're to be fruit bearers, right? And I wish, I wish that I could say that the minute I became saved, I am just like Jesus. Right now, right here and now, the minute I got saved, that I'm just like Jesus, I'm just this awesome thing. (laughs) But we know it doesn't work that way, does it? Does it? See, we have a walking out. We have a submission that needs to be handled in our life. And, and then we, we, we keep our eyes on Jesus. 
the author and finisher. There's something that needs to be finished of our faith. And then we become more and more like him. And that righteousness just blooms into this beautiful thing that touches the whole world. It touches you first, and then it touches everybody around you. Hallelujah, Father. That is so awesome. So we're going to like kind of look a little further into all this. It's, we know that righteousness isn't by our own works. It's by the grace of God. And we just read that we're not supposed to establish our own righteousness. So then Jesus goes on. This is later in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this very interesting phrase. He says that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. That it must exceed that of the Pharisees. That our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees, who were the Pharisees? They were the experts in the law, weren't they? They knew the law. They were going to hold you to the law. Better not budge off the law because you weren't going to get away with anything. So in Matthew 5, 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now we just read a minute ago that Jesus was the culmination of the law. Verse 18, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means, this is Jesus talking, disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least, of these commands and teaches others accordingly, watch your witness, saints, watch your witness, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here you have, you have these Pharisees, they were the law keepers, and he is saying, you know, they didn't let anything slip by, and he's saying, your righteousness has to exceed theirs. Well, what does he mean by that? If they knew it all, if they knew the law, how can there our righteousness? Because it's not about always, he said, Jesus said, I'm the culmination of the law. I, Jesus, am the culmination of the law. But you see, Jesus added a whole nother dimension, saints, and it is the love of God applied what, did you all just miss what I said? Seriously, did you just miss what I said? Jesus, I'm going to do it again. Jesus added a whole nother dimension. It is not the legalistic keeping of the law. Did he come and was the law fulfilled and does he fulfill the law? But he added a whole nother dimension and that is the love of God applied. Do you want the love of God applied to you? Amen. I do too. Verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So you see what he's saying? At first this kind of seems like a, 
I mean, that seems like a pretty stout statement, but we have to remember how Jesus thought of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the synagogue leaders throughout his entire ministry. Oftentimes they were called hypocrites. They were applying the letter of the law without the heart of God, without the mission of Jesus. So they, they, the Pharisees, they were experts, but they often, so often, so often, miss the heart of the matter. So often miss the heart of the matter. So in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on and he points us to the heart of his Father. He points us to the heart of his Father. He moves us from this external, this strictly external, legalistic, rule and regulation application. He moves us from that place to an internal understanding an outpouring of his love applied. Who wants to be there? I want to be there. I want to be there. Does that mean I tolerate sin? Does that mean I give in to sin? Does that mean I practice sin? No, doesn't mean that at all. but it means I approach things with the compassion of Christ. So he moves us from this strictly external demonstration of good works and the law and legalism to the application of the Father's heart in every situation, every situation. The law is still fulfilled, the law is still fulfilled, but it is fulfilled by the heart of God's love. That's where we want to be. That's where we want to be walking. We are moved out of, then we become moved out of an inner conviction. You see, we become, out of, we, we become moved out of an inner conviction, an inner relationship, an inner love. To be like Christ. Not this external motivation to be honored of men. That's what the Pharisees so often were after. They wanted to be exalted and honored and seen. Matthew 6. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount here later on. Verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward. That's stout. If that's what, why you're doing what you're doing, you're not going to get a reward in heaven. You've already gotten yours here on earth. That's what the scripture says. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Then he goes on and he gives us some examples. He says, so when you give to the needy, so that would be a fruit of righteousness, wouldn't it? It would be a fruit of righteousness, not a work. It would be a fruit of righteousness because it comes from our relationship with our Jesus because we want to please him. And we have his, that relationship. When that relationship is coveted, when that relationship, the presence of Jesus in our lives, when it is sought after, his fruit just naturally bubbles out. Because he's in our midst. He's the one. Then it's not of our own works. So when you give, 
to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees, your father sees everything. He sees the motivations of our hearts. He sees the things that hurt us. He sees, sees the things that bring us joy. He wants us to walk in, in, in joy, in his good pleasure. Yes, he gives us all things to enjoy, yes. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the reward of men or the reward of your father? No man can ever reward you the way the father will. You just stick to his side. You just hang on to him, and you will get a reward so big that you won't even know how to contain it. See, this is a heart issue. Are we going to please the Father? Are we going to internalize that? Are we going to walk in covenant with him? So Jesus goes on, verse 5, and he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So he's saying, practice your righteousness in secret. That's a hard issue. That's a motivation issue. It comes out of relationship. That's the only place. That's the only place it could ever come from is relationship with Jesus. Let's go to Luke 13 and ver verse 14 and just to set the stage here, the leader of the synagogue was basically calling Jesus out for healing on the Sabbath. Can you imagine calling Jesus out? <laughs> wow, you got something to learn, brother. <laughs> and yet they would allow, because of the law, they would allow the person to do work by feeding, by watering their donkey, Right? So let's read that. Indignant, verse 14, Luke 13, 14. Indignant. Can you even imagine being indignant at Jesus? Yikes. Indignant. Because Jesus, why were they indignant? Oh, wow, let's just stop there a minute. Why were they indignant? Because they were operating in their own self-righteousness. Danger zone. Wasn't there a song a long time ago that said something about a danger zone? <laughs> Indignant because Jesus said heal on the Sabbath, because that, that was considered work. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Oh, my gosh. Talk about a total, total lack of compassion. 
Total lack of mercy. Total lack of putting somebody, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. The Lord answered him, you hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? You see, Jesus came to release people from torment. Jesus came to release people from bondage. When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. Well, good. Good. It's the way it should be. Have you ever been humiliated? <laughs> because you failed to walk in the compassion of the Lord? Yeah, I have. Talk about mud in your face. <laughs> but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Hallelujah. So you see, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is a matter of seeking out Christ's likeness in our own lives. Like I said before, I would love to say the minute I was saved, I was just perfect, just like Jesus. But, well, that probably happened in all your lives. But it didn't happen that way in mine. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you see, we want to seek the heart of Jesus. And if we seek that relationship, the presence of Jesus, that's what we're after, that's what we're after, that's what we're after, the presence of Jesus. See, then the fruit of righteousness grows. The fruit of righteousness comes from the inside out. It's not a matter of works at all. We develop into Christ-likeness. 1 Timothy 6.11 tells us to pursue righteousness. See there? It's something we need to pursue out of our right standing. We have right standing with God, but then we need to develop and pursue. What does that mean? What does that mean in my life? What does that mean that he has given me this amazing gift of right standing? How am I going to honor that? How am I going to honor that? Philippians 1.11 tells us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, filled with his fruit in our lives so that others can see his goodness and others are drawn by his goodness and that that fruit pouring out is a calling card. I don't say that like in a technical way. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's a heart thing. They, couldn't, they can't avoid it. They can't turn away. So it's like this. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. We walk in this new covenant. You know, God is a covenant-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God. Every promise in this Bible, every single promise is a covenant unto you. Wow, what a treasury. What a treasure. Hallelujah. Anyway, when we take, when we walk into the, we, we, we come into covenant with Jesus when we're born again, our spirits are recreated into his very image. 
And we take on new responsibilities at that point. We take on new purposes. We take on new intents. Our heart changes. Our heart's desire changes. And, you know, this was just maybe the only example I could think of, but it's like a marriage covenant. It's like a marriage covenant. We come into covenant with Jesus, but like on earth, in the, in the carnal, you know, we might have a marriage covenant. Well, when you, when you walk into that covenant, do your responsibilities change? Does your heart change? Well, of course it does. It better. Why else would you get married? What is it? What, what is the point? What is the point? Well, in that covenant, you're going to have a heart to know that person, to help that person, to be a blessing to that person, to bring that person pleasure, to create joy in that person's life. Who wants to marry someone who, you know, doesn't care about them and, and doesn't have one whit of, of inkling to be a help unto them, who wants to be a stumbling block all the time? No. No. You join this covenant. You come into this covenant, and you want to please them. It is your desire to know them intimately and to, and to you know, be their friend, walk beside them, be an encouragement. And so it is the same with, with, with righteousness. It's the same when we come into that fellowship with Christ. It's the same when we enter that covenant with God. He's already poured out these amazing, massive promises. You see, but we come into that relationship and we want to please him. We want to produce fruit that pleases him. Right? It's not because of this, it's not because of a legalistic obligation. Wouldn't that be an awful way to go through marriage? That would be awful. That would be terrible. No. It's because I love you to the extent that we can humanly understand love. But, of course, God gives us the opportunity to do that because we understand his love for us first. And then it goes on to others, right? So it's not this, like, legalistic thing. It's this heart. This heart. Heart. Because we are hungering and thirsting for the heart of Christ. We are hungering and thirsting for the heart of Christ. Let that be our cry today, that we hunger and thirst for the heart of Christ in our lives. And we, we, we have to keep that at the center of our hearts. We keep that at the center of our hearts and lives in the revelation of what that really means the revelation of what that really means to us as a person at the new birth and then to what it can mean for others as we walk out that righteousness. Am I making sense? And we do this. We keep our hearts singly, singly focused on Jesus, singly focused on Jesus and what pleases him. And don't think I'm being really impractical. I'm not being impractical one whit. Because you can walk away from the heart of Jesus and you're going to get a ton of pain in your life. So this is very practical. You want a good life? <laughs> the heart of Jesus is going to show you and bless you. 
So it's very practical. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you understanding. You seek his heart. He reveals things to you. When we commit our way to him, he gives us the desires of our heart. So this is very practical. Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Isn't that an awesome gift? If you just stopped right there, think about that. He crucified, when you, when you receive Christ into your life, the spirit of Jesus into your life, when you receive that, the carnal nature is crucified. It's crucified. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, that you came in and took care of that so that I could have a new way of walking, a new way of talking, a new way of thinking, a new way of responding. All that carnal garbage, just like you were crucified on the cross, you crucified it in my life. And now what's my job? It is to allow the demonstration of the living Christ to to grow, to develop, and to come out. So Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you just took that old yuck stuff and you just covered it up by the blood and, and like God doesn't even see it anymore. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He sees you through the blood. Through the blood. Is the blood pure? Is the blood pure? Is the blood pure? I have been, boy, I could just camp right there all day. Maybe I'll just keep you all day. All day. And we'll just talk about this. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I no longer live. Thank you. Thank you that all that old junk, you know, it is a supernatural gift that all those old carnal desires actually got crucified when you were born again. It's just a matter of are you now going to walk? Woo! thought I just saw an angel there. Are you going to walk? Are you going to walk? Are you going to walk? Are you going to take the gift and are you going to walk? Are you going to take the gift and are you going to walk? Hallelujah. Man, I'm going to float. <laughs> I'm just going to float. Oh, y'all think I'm so crazy. <laughs> I'm not crazy. It's just the reality of the gift that's been given. Crucified with Christ. I no longer live. All that carnal junk, I no longer live. I no longer live. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I'm, whole, I'm all brand new. I'm, you see me as this new thing. The way you intended it to be from the beginning. But Christ lives in me. Would you please say that? Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in 
Christ lives in me. The very same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me, quickening my mortal body. The old is gone. A new creation, perfectly new. Hallelujah. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, obviously. Obviously, he loved me a whole, whole lot because I was all wrong, and he still loved me, and he still died before I ever knew him, for me, for you, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Saints, you are righteous through Christ. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ lives in you. The hope of glory. See the hope. It's all about a hope. It's all about walking toward that. The hope of glory. His glory growing. Coming out. Blessing others. Blessing you first. Blessing others. Then we learn and we grow. Thank you, Lord, that you are very patient. So think about what this means. The very life of Christ in each one of us that are saved and born again. That's why, man, if you are not saved, just jump in. Jump in. The Think about this. Think about this. The incarnation of Christ. in you. The very image. And he was the exact, he is the exact image of the Father. That's your core as a born-again believer. Hallelujah. That's what we received in our very beings, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If the very spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in me, it becomes, in you, and it does, it becomes our perpetual, perpetual mission, perpetual mission to thirst and hunger after what that means. There will be nothing in life that will ever satisfy any of us more than that pursuit. Nothing. Nothing in life. That will make everything beautiful in its own time. In the God-appointed time. Our pursuit of the likeness of Christ in our own lives will make everything in our lives beautiful in its own time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The indwelling, the alive, the powerful, the active, the victorious, the forgiving, the merciful. Presence of God. In us and working through us. Hallelujah. From the inside out. God radiating. God radiating from our very beings because we have chosen the better thing, the pursuit of his 
fruit, the fruit of what that righteousness that he's given us, the fruit of what that means. We pursue the better thing. Hallelujah. Because it is our desire, it is our desire to touch the world around us the way that Jesus touched his world and the way that Jesus touched our lives, has touched and continues to touch our lives. That's our desire, right? That's what we want to be to the people around us. So, okay, a minute ago I said, well, you probably think I'm not being very practical. But if you want, okay, and, here, and here's the deal about this. I am not talking about works here. See, works are done from an external motivation, like the Pharisees, you know, wanting to be honored and seen of men. Does that mean that we don't do good things? Of course not. See, because when the life of Jesus lives in us, automatically we cannot help but do goodness unto other people. Cannot help it because he is all good, he is all light, he is all love, and there is no darkness in him, so we can't even do dark things. So does it have a practical application? Yes, it has a very practical application, but not because we are externally motivated. It is because the love of Jesus internal, internally, the presence of God, seeking his presence in our lives. And so do we do good things? Yes. Yes, we do good. The goodness of God. God is a good, good God. He's good to us, and we want to show that goodness to other people. So thirsting and hungering after righteousness will propel us it will propel us into the, this life of doing goodness. Doing goodness. What might that look like, okay? Individually, what might that look like? Practically, what might that look like in your life? In each of our lives, what might that look like? Well, I came up with this list of certain things that I thought would look like that life pursuit of walking in his righteousness toward humanity. So, in each of our circles, that might mean something else. So here are just a few things I thought of. Feeding the hungry or homeless. Ministering to the lost. Lending a helping hand. Have you ever just lended a helping hand to somebody? You saw something they needed and you just lended a hand. Or you knew something that was just going to make them happy and you just did it. You see, you're walking in the righteousness of Christ at that moment. You're, right, you're walking in the gift that his righteousness has produced, the fruit that his righteousness has produced in your life. Lending a helping hand, praying for those in need, being kind in an unkind world. I love this saying. We have it in our home. It says, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Isn't that sweet? In a world where you can be anything, be kind. The world isn't going to tell you that's a good thing all the time. What's the world going to tell you that are the good things to be powerful, successful? You better earn a lot of money. Or you're probably not worth anything. Yikes, that stinks. <laughs> Yikes, that stinks. Kindness. Kindness goes a long way. Fighting for the underdog. You see someone being persecuted unjustly. Get in the fight with them. 
be a listening ear. Sometimes people just need somebody to talk to. And who better to talk to than you? Because, see, you will have the counsel of God. You will be wisdom unto their path, light unto them, because of the word that you have stored up in your life. That's a big thing, guys. Stop. Stop. Walk a mile in someone else's shoes before you open your mouth to criticize. It's so easy to judge on the outside. Well, put yourself in their shoes. That's called compassion. How about teaching youth? How about teaching children? I mean, you all have certain things in your own life where God has put it on your heart that that's a mission that you have. Do it. Do it. You will be rewarded by our Father in heaven who sees. So where, where, where is the righteousness? Where is God's righteousness through Christ? Where is that going to be demonstrated in your life? In my life. See, that's what thirsting and hungering after the righteousness of God in our lives is all about. Philippians 2.5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. You see, did he come to criticize the sinner? Holier than thou? Is that what he came for? No, he came to give light, to correct the sin, but to have mercy and forgiveness for the sinner who would repent. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Do you think when he came here, he was, gonna, he was saying to himself, this is really going to be a lot of fun. You think that's what he was saying? I don't think so. There was way too much suffering involved. This is going to be a piece of cake. I am going to have so much fun doing this. Think about what he left. He left the presence of God. Perfection. Peace. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. He left it for us. So what, we think it's a little too hard to thirst and hunger and thirst after righteousness? I don't think so. Do we do it perfectly? No. No, we don't do it perfectly. But we just keep trying. We just keep getting a little bit better every day. We make mistakes, we get up, we move on. And here's the key to that. Don't let Satan hit you over the head with how you have fouled up, how you have messed up. There was one only perfect, Jesus Christ. So, 
Here's what I think sometimes righteousness looks like. Where do we go to find that? We go to the scripture, of course, Luke 13, 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, the smallest of all seeds. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. You see, you plant that seed of righteousness, that pursuit, and you become a tree where people can rest, where people can run in and find protection, where they can rest and find peace. Did you ever think about that? That's what that tree's for? They're coming in. They're coming in. You be that tree of life and rest in peace. Verse 20. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about six pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see, you're the yeast for the dough, for the people. You're the yeast. You're the life. You bring the presence of Christ. Hallelujah. You bring resurrection life. Matthew 5, 14 through 15. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, that fruit of righteousness, it's going to be the goodness of God. That's what it is. That's what it's going to demonstrate in your life. Hungering and thirsting after him, after the presence of Christ, after the Christ-likeness. It becomes the light. And the good deeds that result from that glorify our Father in heaven and become a testimony drawing others into him, into that presence. So you see, these, these this kind of might sound a little bit contradictory when it says good deeds, but see, that's not good deeds to be seen. That's not good deeds because you want to be honored yourself. That those are good deeds exploding from the presence of Christ in your life. There's a big difference. So that's the goal of the gift of righteousness that we've been given. That's the goal. And there's no greater thirst or hunger that you could ever, that I could ever pursue. So that's what I believe the Lord had me share with everybody today. We are going to receive communion and we're going to take our offering. I'm going to go, hopefully y'all got your communion when you came in. They were on the tables. And like I said before, this is not a ritual. Communion is not a ritual. Jesus tells us to take communion in remembrance